Welcome back to a very special episode of Small Business Origins featuring Travis Lamance with HavenArrow.com. You're going to enjoy this episode, so I just want you to hop right into it. But I wanted to let y'all know this is one of our advertisers. So please make sure that you check out everything that Haven Arrow has going on and see if they can make your next flight special. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. You're tuned in to our nationwide search for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell. And joining us virtually in the studio, I've got an entrepreneur that wants to do just that. From Amarillo, Texas, we have Travis Lamance with Haven Arrow. Travis, welcome to the show. Hello, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Man, it's honestly a pleasure. I say it every single episode, but it really is. I love getting to know entrepreneurs and their story from the personal side all the way up to what their business is doing right now and what cooler of a business to be in besides aircraft, man. This is uh, one that I'm kind of geeking out for, so I can't wait to hop into it. But we always start out with an icebreaker question. So today's icebreaker question is, which movie did you first see at a movie theater? (laughs) The first movie I remember seeing is The Great Outdoors with uh, John Candy. (laughs) I I was a little, little kid. I don't uh, don't specifically remember the movie or anything else, but I remember going to the theater and seeing that one, and uh, it's one I like to go back and revisit pretty frequently. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that movie, to be honest. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a good one. The first one I ever remember seeing was when my grandmother took me to see Casper, the Friendly Ghost. Yeah. We had a, a little movie theater here in Tomball, where I now live, which was our closest movie theater that we could go to at the time when I grew up in Waller. And, um, yeah, Casper was in the theaters, man. And I thought I was just, you know, King dingling going to see this movie in a movie theater. I was probably <laughs> five years old, something like that young. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was a pretty interesting experience. I'll tell you though, man, I saw last night, I guess some people are saying, you know, that it's kind of a shame that the movie theaters are dying out as an industry. And it's like, man, that stuff's gotten so expensive though. You know, you can't. Yeah. It's. It's a half a paycheck to go to a, a movie nowadays, especially if you pull in a 3D movie and all the stuff that yeah. goes along with it. It's it's a chunk of change now. It's sad because it used to be like one of those really cool pastimes to go do. And now it's just to me, from my perspective, it's like, God, I'd rather just chill at home where the drinks are a lot cheaper, a whole lot colder, easier to get. Yeah. And uh, I think with the uh, advent of, you know, nice big screen TVs and surround sound systems and everything else. I get a better experience because yeah, it may not be as big as the movie theater, but man, it sure is a whole lot more comfortable and <laughs> you can be in your underwear yeah. when you watch the movie. So, you know, yeah, they frown upon that in movie theaters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't last long in there that way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But we're here to talk about Travis. We're here to talk about Haven Arrow. So, man, Travis, just hop into your personal life. What's your origin story and where'd you come from? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, so I was uh, born in New Mexico and then uh, my dad and my grandpa got jobs at the gold mines up in northern Nevada. So uh, we had a we still have a family ranch over in New Mexico. And so 
I'd spend the school years up in northern Nevada and the summers down on the ranch in New Mexico and just kind of bought back and forth between the two of those growing up and uh, created a, a nice little diversity for me between the two different cultures, between those two uh, places, which was fun. And then right at the end of high school, I jumped into uh, A&P school, which is the school you go to to learn how to work on airplanes and um, got recruited into work directly for Cessna up in Wichita and worked there for a few years and um, jumped around to a couple of other maintenance facilities. But the whole time, always knowing I kind of wanted to do my own thing. Um, but, you know, we were a, a middle class family, so we didn't have a ton of money. We didn't have the private airplane experience. So I wasn't real sure how to get into that. Um, so I worked for several different maintenance facilities around the country and uh, finally, uh, about 15 years ago, I got an opportunity over in Pampa, Texas. There's a guy named Ron over there that had a shop that needed, uh, some help and was able to arrange a agreement with him to, uh, kind of take over all of his equipment and customer base and everything. So that was my first, uh, 4A and, uh, owning my own business. And, and it was a lot of fun and, did that for a few years and outgrew that little shop in Pampa pretty rapidly. So I moved over to Amarillo, ran a maintenance facility here for a, a couple of years that we owned and then um, sold that. And then we went and did some air medical EMS stuff. A friend of mine started up a EMS company. So we helped him build that up to a, a pretty substantial nationwide business. And then uh, during the course of that, I was finally able to get back out on my own again and started another maintenance facility. And it's been going for several years and, and doing very good. And uh, during the course of that, uh, during the course of that uh, maintenance facility business, I was constantly getting asked to, hey, what about this airplane? Should we buy this? Or I'm, I want to sell this. Who do I talk to? Or I need a flight somewhere. Where do I go? So I, I finally got uh, tired of giving all that away for free. So we just started another business, which was Haven Arrow. And so at Haven Arrow, we do the buying, the selling, the chartering, all the operational side of the aircraft stuff. And so that's that's been going on for about a year and a half now and and growing very rapidly and doing really well. So that's been a lot of fun. Man, I haven't heard the name Pampa, the city Pampa in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's that. Uh, you know where Miami, Texas? Oh, is? yeah. Yeah, I know it well. OK, so that's my older. Well, I have two older sisters and an older brother, but um, one of my older sisters is from my dad's side. I've got half, you know, half siblings right. everywhere. Uh, Papa was a rolling stone. <laughs> and uh, so on my dad's side, my sister Shauna, she actually lived in Miami, Texas whenever I was growing up. So that was probably the second flight I ever took in my life was up there. Um, I think we flew into Pampa, if I'm not mistaken. And then they came and picked me up and I went and spent like the week over at her house. And so it's just, you don't, hear a whole lot of people that know <laughs> yeah. that little panhandle area, yeah. you know, and can say Pampa and Miami and all that stuff. That was one of my, uh, kind of interesting. One of my first big mistakes when I moved to Pampa was we had a customer that had an airplane over there at the Miami airport. And I was just looking at it on a map and I said, well, I guess I got to go to Miami. It's Miami. <laughs> you <don't, laughs> yeah. It's Miami. got to get you it don't right. Call it Miami or you get yelled at. That's how they know you're yeah, a, That's how they know you're an out of towner. Yeah. I had a whole, <laughs> a whole little educational moment on that with my sister whenever I flew up there that's for funny. sure. 
But yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, small things like that, man. You just never know. So, I mean, going from flight maintenance and then basically uh, there's such a cool story of just you realize there was a need in the market for sure. And so how many of your competitors were out there whenever you started Haven Arrow and started doing the the part where you're booking flights through you? Uh, nationwide, there's there's quite a few um, on the operations side doing the 135 work. Um, locally in my area, there's very little competition. Um, it was not being serviced well out here. So, uh, we had a, we had a wide open market locally, but only about, uh, only about 20% of our flying originates from Amarillo. The rest of it originates elsewhere and we just go service it. But, you know, we have, we have aircraft in Kerrville and Corpus Christi and we're in the middle of putting one out in Vegas. And then we have the ones here in Amarillo and we got some down in uh, in Fort Worth. So we're kind of spread around now and, and still spreading out. And the nice thing about the kind of middle, middle of the road aircraft that we operate is they're, they're efficient and cost effective enough that we can go out pretty far distances on deadhead lakes to pick people up and move them around, even if they don't originate right where we're at. That makes sense. So how does that work as far as like you guys are paying obviously fees and stuff to these airports to house your aircraft? Yeah, for sure. At the, the Amarillo airport, we have our own hangar, but everywhere else we have to rent, uh, we have to rent hangar space. And so, uh, depending on what airport you're going in and out of, you may have to pay landing fees or, um, or taxi fees and that kind of stuff. And the FBOs that we land at, depending on which brand of FBO it is, there's varying charges of what what goes on there gotcha so this is all aircraft that you as a company own uh no we we own some of them and we do what's called a dry lease arrangement on other ones so if a guy out there has a airplane that he's only flying you know 40 50 hours a year and a full utilization on an airplane is about 300 and 350 hours a year um, so if they're only flying 40 or 50 hours a year and they're having to pay insurance and hangar and there's a lot of timed maintenance items that got to be done whether it flies or not um so it's a incremental cost increase for us to go and utilize that remaining um flight time available and it helps offset the cost to that owner so uh some instances it works really good for the owners in some instances it's not a recommended idea it just kind of depends on an individual basis but we're about uh, half and half on our fleet on which ones we are doing dry leases on and which ones we own. Yeah. So it's kind of a lot like uh, the RV market where you can just like, Hey, right. You know what? I got this RV. I'm not using it every single month. So might as well kind of throw it out there. I mean, obviously major differences, but it seems similar to that in my mind. It is similar. The probably some of the bigger differences with the RV they're outside of paying your insurance and, and doing your regular maintenance on them. They're not, a whole lot of complexity there on the airplane side. There's a lot of regulations, a lot of FAA stuff uh, that you have to comply with um, pilot training, pilot hiring, all that kind of, all that kind of activity takes up a lot of time. And if you are just some guy that owns an airplane, uh, you more than likely own a, your own business. It's taken up all your time and you don't have the, the bandwidth to mess with all the nuances of the aviation business. That's where, um, our dry lease stuff works out pretty good because um, we take over all that stuff. And then at that point, all you do is you tell us what day you want to go somewhere and what day you want to come home and we handle all the logistics. So it makes it extremely easy for the owner of the airplane to 
to utilize that asset that he's paying for and and combined with offsetting his cost of owning that airplane as well. Yeah, sounds like a killer idea. How did they get hooked up with you on that? Like if I had an aircraft laying around, which I don't, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I wanted to, you know, utilize that, man, is that, is there a big market for that? You just kind of shop around to companies and find one you're comfortable with? Yeah, there's uh, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of 135 operators out there that do offer that. It's getting um, harder and harder to get in with them because the pilot shortages are getting very real. Uh, the demand for private flying has went up significantly since uh, COVID hit and all that stuff. The the uh, demand is, has skyrocketed a lot. And at the same time that that was going on, the um, schools for training the pilots and all that slowed way down because of all the uh, shutdowns and everything going on. So pilot shortages are, are a very real thing. So some of the really large part 135 companies are kind of on hold with uh, adding new aircraft, adding new uh, customers right now while they're trying to play catch up, which is leaving a good opening for us because we've uh, been fortunate enough to position ourselves in a way that we're we're still in, in growth mode. So generally to, to get an, if you own an aircraft and you want to go out there and get it put on a 135, you just have to start contacting them and and asking them if if they're taking on new uh, new dry leases and new managed customers, and if you find one that is, then that's when you got to start vetting them out and make sure that uh, they're operating uh, everything with integrity and and uh, doing things in a way that's going to benefit your asset and not tear it up. There's there's a lot of opportunity for for people to misuse and abuse a person's aircraft if it's not done by a by a good ethical company. Yeah. That's one thing that I think would probably scare me the most is it's not a cheap asset to sure. have in someone else's hands, you know? Yeah. So what kind of, you know, safety stuff do y'all have in place and, and all of that, as far as like your full operation, you know, coming from where you find pilots and how you hire them and employ them to, I mean, obviously all our maintenance experts, cause that's where you started, but just kind of walk me through that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, for sure. So our, uh, our um, director of operations is a lifelong pilot. He's been through all the, um, through the gamut of all the line jobs flying for different people. So he knows what schedules pilots are attracted to and what schedules they're not. Um, so we're trying to be very pilot centric on our uh, staffing model, um, which has been very successful so far. The pilots really like the schedules that we're offering. Um, we're very competitive on all the the things that are expected. You know, the the salaries and the benefits and all that are in line with everybody else. And then the, the schedule and the pilot friendly atmosphere has been really successful for us. And then we are uh, on an SMS, which is a safety management system that pretty much all the 135 operators use to some degree uh, that helps us track uh, quality and safety and uh, gives the pilots a place to report issues and, and run things up the chain so that we don't have duplicated errors and repeated issues and that kind of, that kind of problem that plagues a lot of companies. Yeah. So as far as like what you guys have to offer, just kind of tell me, you know, I know a little bit just because we obviously talked about some things right. that I was planning on doing, but as far as our listeners concerned, maybe they're not sure what we're talking about when we're throwing out all this information. So it's like, for sure. what exactly is your ideal customer and what is it that they're getting from Haven Arrow? Maybe even something they're not getting from other places if they don't go with you. For sure. Yeah. I'll uh, split it up into a couple of different categories. 
Um, if you look at the category for the people that are considering purchasing or selling an airplane, uh, that falls up kind of under our aircraft brokerage arm. And uh, ideal candidates over there is just anybody looking to buy or sell an aircraft that um, is not super familiar with it and all the nuances that go along with it. We, uh, we take the reins on that. And uh, obviously, we charge a commission based on the, the purchase or the sale price. And we take the whole thing from A to Z. We manage the uh, purchase agreements. We run all the escrow stuff. Um, we go out and look at the aircraft in person, make sure that we're uh, getting what we're expecting to be getting before we pay for all the expensive dollars of spending it to a, a pre-purchase inspection or relocating the aircraft. Um, and then if you look at the uh, charter side of the of the business, that's anybody that wants private lift that doesn't want to own an aircraft. Um, that's very frequently, uh, you know, medium, small, even small, medium-sized businesses that uh, don't want the cost and overhead of owning that kind of an asset. They'd rather use that cash somewhere else, but they would like to get some private travel in, um, at least to some specific trips every year. And on those guys, um, we have a really easy uh, portal through our website where they just go in and put their their name and their email address and make a request and it'll come to us and we'll uh, we'll walk through that whole process with them on bidding a trip and telling them how much it'll cost to get them there and we offer uh, full concierge services through that whole process so if you want any kind of catering or black car service on the other side or any other kind of transportation we can even help with hotel arrangements, other travel arrangements, if you're trying to connect to an airline um, at some point along the way. Um, so the the charter market is, it's actually a lot more viable to a wider audience than I think they realize. Um, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for uh, people to get a, a price back on a quote and, and be like, well, I can actually do that. And of course, the inverse is true too. We get some that think it's going to be like comparable to an airline ticket, and it's not. It's it's nowhere near the same as a airline ticket. <laughs> so it's it, you know it, we get both sides of it. We get the ones that that it's above expectation, but we do get quite a lot that it's below their expectation as well. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> and then if you go off into the into the uh, management side of the business, you either have the dry lease option that we kind of touched on earlier where a guy owns an airplane and it's not getting fully utilized and he's having to hassle with everything. And you'd like to do some cost offsetting that, that ideal and likely buyer is, is that guy that owns the airplane that kind of falls into that category. But we also have some that are just um, what we call part 91 operators. That just means they fly privately. There's no, no commercial operations. Um, and we do manage quite a few of those aircraft as well. And on those aircraft, we provide the same, pilot services and management services that we would for a dry leased airplane, except uh, we don't charter it out to private people. All the trips flown in it are for the owner of the aircraft, but it solves all of his headache of needing to know when his pilots are going to be there and where they're going to be and that he's going to get where he wants to go when he wants to go there. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that all of these people that own these type of aircraft are also pilots. They're not able to always operate their aircraft and instead of hiring someone as, you know, their private pilot, they're basically hiring you as their private pilot. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, uh, it's saving them money because we have a pool of pilots that can operate the aircraft. So instead of them paying 
a full salary to one pilot, they're paying us um, a portion of that salary because we, if they're not flying every day, we can use that pilot on other airplanes and other things um, and help spread that salary around for that one pilot. And then, you know, pilots uh, often get, uh, when they get into the private jets and the, in the mid-sized turboprops, the owners kind of make an assumption that they are experts at everything on, um, you know, from insurance requirements and contract deals and negotiating fuel pricing and all that kind of thing. And I feel bad for a lot of those pilots to get put in that position because they're collecting a salary. So they feel obligated to do it, but it's not their expertise. They're uh, in a lot of cases. I mean, obviously there's a lot of pilots that are good at all of it, but you see a lot of them that are just kind of forced into that and they're not really sure what to do. And so it's good for the pilots. It's good for the owner. Uh, and, and it's obviously good for us as we get a customer in the middle of it, but it solves, uh, problems for everybody and it creates win-wins all the way around. Yeah. Now it's a very cool model. Um, something that I don't know, maybe our listeners are smarter than me, but it's not something I ever thought of in this entirety. Whenever we first started talking, all I really thought about was just from the consumer side of, Hey, I don't really want to hop into uh, just a regular standard airline, you know, and, and take that with a bunch of other people. I'm looking to kind of just upgrade my experience and go with my friends. I mean, I kind of look at it as like a, a limousine in the sky, you know, it's like, this is the ultimate way. It's so awesome to pull up on the Vegas strip in a limo with all of your friends ready to party, gamble and do all that kind of stuff. And it's like, what if you also flew there in a private you know, jet with all this different stuff right. in there. And, uh, it's just a, it's a pretty cool experience to me, but I never thought about all the other business side of this that we've gotten into today where it's like, yeah, but there are people who own this and want to uh, be able to kind of farm that out to other people that could use it, you know? Uh, so that's definitely an interesting take on it. Yeah. So as far as the, the comparison to airlines though, you know, I know one thing you mentioned was obviously the price point is vastly different. You know, we're not, we're not talking about a two, $300 per ticket round trip fee here. Right. Um, but what is the difference between that first class ticket on a nice commercial public airline versus, you know, going with someone like you? For sure. And it, it really depends on the class of aircraft and how far you're going because um, we operate a lot of uh, mid-sized turboprop called the King Air 200. We run several of those. And on those aircraft, let's say you're, you're doing like a, dallas to vegas run and you're going to be there overnight and then run back um if you're doing just one overnight and that length of a trip on that you know you you can get it down to uh, about 1800 to 2000 dollars a seat pretty easy um but if you're if you're going to be there for a week and then you got to come back a week later um then you're looking at either paying for uh, you know a lot of overnights or a return trip on there so it'll help or it will drive the cost up the more days you're there if you're using um, if you're using someone like us that has a, a fixed aircraft fleet, and then um, you know we have aircraft that go all the way up to a Falcon 900, and that aircraft is a little over seven thousand dollars an hour. So if you're if you're going on a really long trip on that, you're going to get way up there on cost compared to an airline. So the smaller aircraft, uh, such as the King Air or the Beach Jets or the Citation CJs, all of those stay reasonably affordable. Some, depending on the trip, somewhere in that two to $3,000 a seat on average. And so if you're taking, you know, 
six or seven or eight people with you and everyone's kind of covering their own part, it's, it's very affordable at that point. But if you're, you're the guy with the checkbook, writing the check for the whole airplane for all eight people, <laughs> it's, it, it's not as easy of a conversation at that point. Cause you know, now, now that one guy is paying a $20,000 bill instead of a $2,000 bill. Yeah. But what is the experience like I mean, oh, yeah. inside that aircraft? You know, what kind of luxury am I staying in? And, and one thing too, I know is the difference between like meals are served on this commercial airliner versus you say there's catering that's involved here. So, yeah. you know, what, what is my experience like on that aircraft versus that commercial, um, you know, just everyday airline? Well, the, the price points are, are not real well aligned because the experience is not real well aligned. It's, uh, the experience on riding on the private aircraft is is exponentially better than an airline. The uh, starting from the time you go to leave your destination and the trip planning all the way up to that as well. But you know you get you get uh, time of departure. You don't have to go through all the all the security lines and go through a big airport and wait. You go to a private uh, what we call an FBO, which is just basically an airplane gas station where they kind of have all the lounges and everything waiting for you to get out there. So you pull up generally in most cases, pull directly up to the aircraft with your vehicle and unload your baggage. You have a pilot and sometimes another concierge there helping unload your bags and put them in the aircraft. And and then uh, you're able to depart directly from, from that airport uh, to your destination and at your destination, you know, that, that can be as, as lavish as you want it to be. We've seen some pretty wild stuff on that <laughs> where, uh, kind of to your point of the Vegas trips of everyone wanting to, wanting to make a big spectacle of it, you know, and it can be as simple as just having any basic ground transportation set up, but it's also very common that we'll have a black car service set up there for you. So you'll have your own car and driver to take you to your hotel or wherever you're going. But the experience on the aircraft is, is so much better as well. I mean, you're usually in a, a club seating configuration. So you're there with people, you know, and that you have business with. So if you're on a business trip, you can actually get a lot of work done in the air while you're not as distracted with everything going on. So, and then if you're on a private trip, uh, your, you know, your alcohol is available and your catering, whatever you want there, you know, you can pre-order ahead of time, any, any food that you want. So you can get as crazy as you want with it, or you can keep it as, as simple as, typical airplane snack food but it's it's hard to explain because it's a real diverse experience it can go from it can go from pretty pretty i would say our basic service is is equivalent to or a little above a first class airplane service and then kind of the top tier pull out all the stops super nice services um, for people that haven't done it it's hard to explain it's hard to explain it it's it's very uh, it, it definitely makes you feel very on top of the world. <laughs> it's very, very nice. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely a luxury that once you get a taste of it, it's hard to, hard to go back to anything else. Cause it, there's nothing like it. Yeah. My, my exposure to it has been very limited. You know, I haven't, uh, I haven't grown up as a, a rich person. I have middle-class upbringing and, uh, I am, you know, struggling to stay in this middle-class right now and bring my kids up right. in it. And obviously the goal one day is that, I will never fly, you know, a regular commercial airliner again. It'll always be something like Haven Aero. But sure. um, my exposure to it actually comes from something you were talking about in the very beginning, which was the medical side. So I've seen some of these things that you're talking about because you're absolutely right. You know, when it comes down to a patient flying out, for instance, Hobby Airport, very big here, 
for us in the Houston area as far as flying out international or nationally. And, and uh, whenever I was working for a private transfer company as a paramedic, one thing that we did was sometimes we would assist these medical crews when it came to getting a patient from a hospital to the aircraft or sometimes even, you know, getting a patient uh, into a hospital here in the Houston area from that aircraft. But most of the time they were flying somewhere else, like going to Mexico to go back home and recover, that kind of thing. Right. But they need that that hospital ICU room feel inside of an aircraft, which is just a total another level right there. When you, you know, I grew up on ambulances. I mean, I, I was, I think, 20 years old when I got my EMT. So some of the first things that I ever saw in my adult life were ambulances. And I've been on all different kinds. But when you look at an aircraft that is outfitted to be like a hospital room, it's absolutely amazing. But going back to kind of relating it to something that most of the people can't really understand is exactly what you said with this FBO of like for us, it was millionaires. I don't know if you remember when they were open yeah. um, at Hobby, but, you know, you pull up and you're right. It's like a side gate. It's attached to the airport and you pull in the side gate and then you go straight up to what would typically be your terminal. And then obviously you've got the aircraft right there on the the strip where it's going to go to the runway and you're right. Like you can, I would just pull my ambulance right up to the aircraft. Right. And then we get off and you go inside and it is, it's, it was so nice. Like this really nice lounge area. There are people there that are ready to take care of you. And it's just a totally different experience than going into those long lines, running through TSA and then sitting in, you know, what looks like a jail cell of seats <laughs> yeah. where you're just sitting with all these other people ready to get crammed on this aircraft. And it's like, no, there's snacks and drinks available here while you wait. And there's a nice, you know, comfortable lounge area for you to sit in with couches or chairs or whatever you prefer. And then that whole thing of just being able to walk right up to your aircraft. I mean, honestly, for me, it makes me think of like the president, Yeah, you know, where the limo's pulling up and it's right there next to Air Force One. And you're getting out of your limo and then walking straight up the stairs onto your aircraft. And it's like this very luxury experience. But like you said, I think what a lot of people are finding is, yeah, it's expensive. You know, we, we can't uh, can't kind of skirt around that and say like, oh, yeah, this is a totally cheap or affordable or comparable service. It, it's expensive. It's for a certain client for sure. But when you can't truly compare the experience and, you know, if you're looking to go to Vegas for your birthday and you're wanting to really party and feel like a celebrity, then this is definitely the way to do it. Yeah, 100 percent for sure. And it's I've been doing it for so I've been around it for so many years. I kind of um, have grown a little numb to how special it is, but it's really fun watching people show up for the first time and seeing how excited they are and um, just watching the <laughs> how shocked they are about the difference in the experience and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm extremely customer ser service oriented. So, um, you know, I feel bad for a lot of the, the things that airlines are having to deal with just to keep things running. They're dealing with pilot shortages and staffing shortages, just like every other business out there. And it's over the last 10 years, you've really seen it in their customer service side where, you know, it, it used to be if they would even delay a flight, they would trip over themselves, apologizing and trying to make it right. And, Nowadays, they just cancel a flight and, and wonder why you're mad. And they're just, the customer service has really fallen off a cliff in my personal experience with a lot of them. And we get a lot of business coming to us because people are just tired of it. They just want that customer service feel back. And as important as any airplane or any 
uh, amenity we can provide. It, it really comes down to customer service, feeling the customer and knowing what they want and kind of being able to be a little bit ahead of them on predicting what they want and being right there when they need it. And the, the customer service piece is just the, the whole key to it. It's you got to be there for them and, and uh, anticipate what they're going to need the best you can and have things ready to go and show up when you say you're going to show up and, and be ready to be ready to perform and just give them, you know, they're, they're paying a lot of money for that service. So you have to bring your A game to it every single time. And, that's that to me, that's the most important part of it. Uh, all of it is the customer service piece of it. Well, I mean, you know, just kind of touching on the differences again, I would say it's a lot like the difference between getting on a Greyhound bus or ordering an Uber black or a limousine, Very you know, it's like the customer service plays into it a whole lot. You want somebody who's driving the bus and yells at you to get on <laughs> and sit down and, you know, maybe yeah. we'll bring something around to make you a little more comfortable for that $4 bus ticket you bought, or do you want someone who's going to hop out of the car, shake your hand, open your door, shut your door behind you, make sure that you've got champagne and food and, you know, all the stuff in the back. It's like, it's, it's totally up to you what you want and you're going to pay a difference in price for that. But when somebody's delivering it, it's not a problem to pay that difference. Yeah. You know, it's totally fine. So just another question I kind of had here was, is this Something where I can, if I got, you know, just me and the wife trying to fly somewhere, do you have open flights at all? Or is this totally something where I'm going to have to basically order the whole plane? Uh, the way it's structured right now, it's it's basically the whole airplane. But we are um, trying to finalize some software in the background to help do, we call, we call those crowdfunded flights. Um, yeah. A lot of the big operators already do them. And we're trying to get our technology in place to be able to offer those where, um, especially if people are looking for just a, a low cost way to enjoy a jet experience or a private aircraft experience. Um, it's, it's pretty frequently that the aircraft will go from A to B and then it needs to go from B to C and it's just empty. It's just a reposition leg. So though, you know, if it's, if it's taking a empty position leg from Denver to Vegas or something like that, then there's opportunity to sell empty seats on that uh, leg if you can get the crowdfunding on it where, um, you know, you can advertise it weeks ahead of time whenever you have it scheduled that you put it out on your on your software that, hey, this, this aircraft's going to be empty on this piece if you want to buy a seat in it. It helps reduce our repositioning cost and it helps get people into the into the experience and into filling it. And then... Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, and then in addition to that, um, the the capacity for, let's say you and your wife wanted to go somewhere, but the aircraft you want to take has eight seats in it. So you're going to have six empty seats. You should be able to go on the, uh, on the marketplace and say, Hey, we're, we're contracting this aircraft on this date to go to these places. And this is the seat price and it'll post it out to all the members in that app. And, and then you can see if you can add one or two or three or, or fill it up and, you can decide if, if we can't sell three more tickets, we can't afford it. And so it'll just cancel the flight out. So all that's underway. Um, we're, we may have it out by the, probably the third quarter in 23, but, uh, maybe into the fourth quarter, 23, somewhere in there. And that'll, that'll open up that window. But, uh, as it sits, as we operate today, um, it's pretty much by the aircraft. Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense. You know, a lot of this, obviously I'm bringing from a personal experience just because as a consumer, that's where I sit, you know, it'd be 
a personal thing. My little old event company isn't ready to charter it out for business trips yet. And I've got to drum up a few more sales for beefy marketing before Andrew's ready to do that. But I'm, I'm totally taking a guess here. So it's more of a question than it is a statement, but I'm guessing that the majority of your business would be those large companies who are looking like you said to just, Hey, I need to fly my team up to this for, uh, you know, this city for a, um, a retreat or for business or something like that. And they just don't want to put their, you know, million dollar a year executives on first class with, uh, you know, United airlines or something like that. There, there are definitely, um, a lot of those, but one thing that, uh, one thing that plays into the cost analysis whenever you're looking at it for a corporation, um, airlines only service about 500 aircraft or I'm sorry, 500 airports in the United States. And through private aircraft, we service about 5,000 airports in the United States. So if you're trying to take a team of four, six, eight executives that are all, uh, you know, important high paid individuals and you're, you're flying them into a regional airport, where they're going to have to get in a vehicle and travel for two or three or four hours to get to where they're going. And then, uh, so you're paying for their airline tickets, their rental cars, their hotels, and to suffer the cost of them being out of the office for multiple days to go to a business meeting. Whereas you throw them on a private aircraft, you can have them out there, have their meeting done and have them back in the same day. Um, so the salaries, the, all the other costs um, of them being out of the office, all those balance into it. And a lot of times that when you equate all that into it, it's equal to or cheaper than going on a commercial aircraft in those instances. So that's a that's a big part of what plays into it. A lot of the big companies, if they're going like a major metro area to a major metro area, it's uh, it's oftentimes just as easy to throw them on an airline. But when you get out out into more remote areas where there's not direct airline service and, and you get all these other logistics involved, it, it pretty rapidly makes sense to... Uh, get better utilization of your staff to to be able to go out and do um, several meetings in a day. And, uh, you know, if we deal out here in this part of the world where we are, we are at, we have a lot of agricultural people and uh, cheese factories and, and dairy farms and that kind of stuff. And those by nature are generally pretty remote. And so these guys will jump on a, on an aircraft and they'll go around and visit four or five sites in a day and come home where historically that trip might've taken them three, four or five days to do. So it, it's very much a time saving piece. And depending on what kind of value they put on their time and their staff's time, it pencils out pretty quick to be a benefit. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's even thinking metropolitan area to metropolitan area, you know, a, a company I worked for, we'd go to Dallas quite a bit for trips and we wound up driving most of the time because even in that four hour drive, it would take up most of your day driving. But if you've got a couple hour meeting, and you've got to go to Dallas for it. You can't do it from Houston. We would, we'd make that drive and we'd drive there, have the meeting and then same day drive back. And one of the things that we often joked about was having his, his brother, who was a pilot fly us, because even though it is a major area to another major area, the thing is that the time savings, I mean, I don't know about you, but I like to be a couple hours early for my flights because I've missed a flight one time in my life. And it's something I don't ever want to go through again. Yeah. (laughs) So you know, when you're talking about a, a, a two hour flight, but you got to be two hours early to the airport. Well, you got four hours of airport time there, four hours of flight time that equals your drive time right yeah, there. For sure. So as far as that cost savings, I can see exactly what you're talking about. If like, hey, if you can fly into a smaller airport where you can hop in a car and leave directly as soon as you get there. And so now you're cutting your time in half because, you know, 
let's say it's an hour to get there, get in the aircraft and leave. And I'm guessing here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you got a two hour flight time and then about an hour on each side of embarking on that flight or, or debarkation from that flight. And it's like, Hey, yeah, you know, that four to five hours you're spending there for your trip is a lot faster. And, uh, it may not be obviously a total cost cutting experience in this aspect, but the whole point of not having to get a hotel, stay overnight or not having to drive for eight hours and be exhausted, that kind of stuff, man, it was definitely something we were considering. And that was just that company I was working for was probably 11 or $12 million company a year, maybe a little more at the time. Right. So, you know, even then that's something where it's like, Hey, this is a major meeting for a major deal. That's going to make more money for the company. Why not spend a little bit of money to have your top people out there quickly and then get back quickly? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, that's why, that's why all the people that can afford to use private aircraft use them. It's not, it's not only a luxury. I mean, it definitely is a luxury, but it's not the only reason to do it. It's, it's very time efficient and effective and, the amount of time you have your people in the office and when they do show up to the meetings, they're, they're rested and ready to go. And it, it just bears a lot of uh, fruit outside of the direct cost of it. So the charter world has its place for sure. And like that, you know, if you're in a 11 to $12 million a year company, you're probably not ready to operate a, a, a real serious aircraft. But if you're, you got one or two flights or one or two trips a year that um, you need to do, charters well within reason and and within cost availability to those those size of companies yeah that makes perfect sense for well, sure how do we uh besides you know i always tell everybody obviously chartering an aircraft with you would definitely support you and be amazing yeah. but outside of that how do we get involved see what kind of aircraft you have maybe look at booking a trip get a quote that kind of stuff just give us all the places you're at online and where we can go find out more information yeah for sure um the easiest thing to do is just to go to our website havenarrow.com h-a-v-e-n-a-e-r-o.com we have all of our uh charter availability on there we have a, a portal on there that you can request a flight uh, shows a little bit about our aircraft on there. It shows our brokered aircraft that are available for sale. It has a tab on there. If you're looking to do an acquisition on an aircraft, you can reach out to us and, and request a meeting for us to discuss doing an acquisition for you. So kind of covers the whole gamut of everything we do on there and has good contact information. So that's, uh, that's the easiest place to go gather all that and in one swoop. Yeah. Are y'all on social media or anything at all? Yeah. Yeah. We're on uh, Facebook and Instagram and uh, LinkedIn. Um, so you can go hit us up on any of those as well. Gotcha. So the biggest thing for me is I know we were hoping at the time of recording this, that you were going to have some flights coming out towards mm -hmm. the hooks and Tomball area. Because again, if you couldn't tell by all my questions, I'm a big aircraft nerd and um, this kind of stuff just really interests me. So I want to see the inside of these aircraft. I want to see, you know, what you have to offer. So do you kind of share some of that stuff on social or the website? Uh, yeah, there's some pretty good images and, and information about it on the website. On our social media, we do post um, pictures of while we're flying along pretty regularly. There's uh, there's some pretty good virtual tours that we're working on. They're going to be loaded up here pretty quick. And then I still I still have it on my radar to to hit you up next time we're down in that, that neck of the woods. So you can come check one out. Heck yeah. I know beefy wants to share it all over their social mm -hmm. and it'd be fun, man. I can't wait for the day that we finally get up there and I'm able to, uh, 
get some aircraft time in with your company because this is just yeah. amazing. So we look forward to it. It's it's a awesome experience. You'll enjoy it. Heck yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all this information with us. I really appreciate your time today, and I hope the listeners got to see or hear something that they uh, haven't really been privy to a whole lot, or maybe there's some experts out there that know exactly what we're talking about and exactly why this is the way to go versus your traditional commercial airline. So thank you again for coming on the show. I'm uh, very grateful to be here and, uh, and participate. I love your guys' content and your show and uh, it's exciting to be a part of it. So thank you. Yes, sir. Well, listeners, thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of small business origins. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and enjoyed listening to Travis and all the things he has going on with Haven Arrow. Uh, Look out for them. You know, they should be a sponsor here pretty soon on the show. You may see some ads popping up from them. And uh, I just hope that you would take advantage of this type of travel and check it out. See if it's something you want to do and something you'd be interested in, because this seems like the way to go uh, if you're looking for that ultimate luxury experience. But no matter what, we appreciate you tuning in listening to another entrepreneur and supporting another business. We can't wait to see you next Thursday for another new episode. And as always, I just got to tell you to stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it. 